Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Nick Chopsis. Nick is a Senior Engineering Manager for Developer Platform and Engineering Experience at Checkout.com. He is a Microsoft MVP for Developer Technologies and a YouTube content creator. Welcome, Nick. Hey, guys. Nice to be here. Before we jump into the meat of things, would you give our listeners maybe a little bit more introduction to yourself? Uh, you know, tell them how you got started in the industry. Yeah, sure. So back when I was 14 or 15, I was really into one of those very popular MMORPGs at the time. And you can say I was addicted to a degree. So my dad would do this thing where he would lock the Wi-Fi router in a room where I don't have access to and turn it off so I can't actually play the game. Um, and what would happen is for that particular game, there was an emulator server where it effectively reverse engineered the web server and it re- you could actually run it and create pirated versions. So what I did is I downloaded that for the tutorial and I had to install like, a, I think, Java and MySQL to run it. And then I was playing alone, but nobody could kill me, so I wouldn't complain. And what happened eventually is I want to customize it. So looking at the code, not really any tutorials or anything, I would just learn how to do things. And, and that's how I started. And now that I'm thinking about it, this is like 14 years ago. So <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then at, at 18, my mom was like, you're pretty good at this coding thing. Why don't you just go to London and, and follow your dream? I think she was just like trying to get rid of me. But anyway... Came here, started for three years, and ever since I've been working here in London in various companies, um, currently working as a senior engineering manager at Checkout.com. Shameless plug, by the way, we are hiring. Um, I'm looking after developer platform and engineering experience, making sure that our developers here focus on actually building financial products than doing the other stuff that might not be that interesting. We're just enabling them to build the platform and their products. And since 2018, I've been a Microsoft MVP, starting in data platform, um, mainly due to my contributions to Cosmos DB, and later moving to um, developer technologies due to mainly YouTube, where I'm creating videos. Uh, Would you talk a little bit more about uh, your YouTube, what you're you're doing uh, on YouTube, and and sort of what drove you into, or what what got you interested into YouTube and, and whatnot? Yeah, sure. So... I started YouTube mainly because I was too lazy with writing blogs. So I was blogging <laughs> before YouTube. And the problem was, it was a huge time investment. Like, I, I liked it. I liked the research side of things. And I really like to put things out there because I feel like putting, your, putting yourself on the spot makes you want to learn everything you can about the topic so you don't get criticized about that topic. So I found out that blogging was a good starter there and my blog actually did get some traction, but it was a huge time investment. And what I noticed is I could very easily just move that to a video form where I just record for like two hours and then I break it down to pieces and I work for two hours, I edit, 
and then I upload every week. That's how it started anyway. Now it's a completely different thing, but it was just my way of keeping up with tech that I didn't necessarily use. Because a lot of the stuff I talk about, I don't necessarily talk, uh, use at work, or it's something I use at work, I'm very good at, and I want to share it with other people. So that's sort of how it goes. And now it's at the point where it's a very, um, it's very much sort of videos, not really series about a specific topic. It's just things I'm interested in, and I'm trying to see how can I tell a story about this particular thing. You know, Microsoft is adding, I don't know. I'm a lock in .NET 6. How can I make a good video out of this? It might not be useful, but you might learn something. Or minimal APIs that we're going to talk about here. If I tell you that you can make an API in three lines of code, yeah, we have something there, but how do we tell a story around it? So that's what I'm focusing on right now with, with YouTube and who knows what's next. Yeah, and we're recording this episode in late October um, and releasing the episode shortly after .NET Conf and a, a week or two after Microsoft Ignite. So we should be hearing more about .NET 6 and all the latest and greatest features there. And uh, like you mentioned just a second ago about minimal APIs. So could you dive in a little bit? And, and for those that might not be aware of what has been recently released, what are we talking about? Yeah, sure. So minimal APIs is one of those flagship features of .NET 6. Um, and it's this new programming model. It's this idea that you can now create APIs with literally three lines of code. So the main logic behind it is that .NET has a very solid API foundation if you want to build something with the controllers and the startup and all that. And it's very well performing um, and scalable. But as a new developer, if you just go and create a project from the template, you're getting 250 lines of code. And you're getting this iLogger injecting the controller and these attributes and all that. And it's like, where's the startup.cs getting called from because nothing is calling it. It's not implementing an interface. What's happening there? So it can be very confusing. And actually, as we go, I'm going to tell you a story because I run this experiment with graduates at work. I'm going to tell you a good story about that. But Microsoft noticed and they basically ripped off a page from Node.js's book, which is Node.js isn't necessarily the best programming model, but it's very easy. And when I say Node.js, I mean Express, sorry. Uh, it's very easy to get started. And at the end of the day, especially younger people want to build products, not, not necessarily a high-performing, high-throughput API. How do we make that very, very easy? And... They made it so you can now literally have what they call a web application, which is a new abstraction over what used to be the web host. And then you can simply do an app, assuming app is your web application, and do dot map and the verb map get, map post, map anything. And with very familiar routing, points to a function that will return a result back. This is basically it. And then you just have an app.run to run your code. So they made it very straightforward. And the interesting thing is that there is no, I mean, there is hidden magic, but there is no other files that you have to worry about. You literally have your csproj, which has your web dependency, and that's it, and .NET 6. And then you have the program.cs. And you can start very, very easily, very quickly, and then expand from there. That's the basic idea. It's just a new programming model. And controllers don't go away. They're still there. It's just another way you can make APIs. 
So is, is there anything that you can't do in the minimal APIs that you can do in a normal like controller-based API setup today? I wouldn't say so. Minimal APIs are effectively a stripped-down version of the controller's approach. They don't have a bunch of the middleware that you would have, some of the validation stuff, some of the automatic responses, for example, uh, mapping to a bad request automatically if you have a required attribute on a model. All that is, is removed and you get just the bare bones to play with. And that's what's really attractive to me because you're getting this entry point where you can build anything you want. You can make your APIs with any programming model and any paradigm that you choose to do. You don't have to follow MVC, which is where the controllers thing is coming from. And really, why do we call it MVC? What's the last time you used a view in that model anyway? So, you know, there's there's a, a lot of things there. And I think you can get to a state of effectively being controllers um, from minimal APIs, I mean, but maybe you don't want to get there because minimal APIs actually come with the added benefit of doing less, so having more performance out of the box. If you just create a minimal API to do a GET request to retrieve something from a database, and then you do the same thing in MVC, you're going to see something between 20 or 15 in a realistic scenario percent um, better performance with minimal APIs. That is nothing to sneeze at. At five instances in your Kubernetes cluster, you're going to run four now to have the same performance. And really, when I look at people's controllers, they all seem to follow this clean architecture approach where you move all the stuff somewhere else in a service or in mediator or all that. And then the controller is very thin. So even though you don't have to use it, you weren't really doing much with it anyway. So now you get this more straightforward routing approach. You get better performance for free and you still have the same from the business logic layer and below. And you don't have to change much. Now, obviously, there's a lot of middleware that might alter the behavior of our existing application. So you have to be careful. You can't just lift and shift and use minimal APIs and assume that everything will just work automatically. Uh, but you do get a lot by just changing little, at least in my experience, in the tests I've run personally. So it's more than just a sugar syntax of doing the same thing the way that we've done it all. It's a, it is a, it's a complete uh, stripping out of a- actions that, that uh, you don't need to take. Yeah, I, I like to describe it. And, and this wasn't always possible. This is a combination of features from c 9 and c 10, and also .NET 6 new APIs there. But I like to imagine it as like the Power Rangers assembling Voltron where you have top-level statements introduced in c 9 and then implicit and global using statements in c 10, inferred Lambda types, attributes on Lambdas, and a bunch of other APIs in .NET 6 that really come together to make that possible. This was not possible. Funny enough, Carter, the successor to NANCFX, was actually able to provide similar, a similar programming model but it wasn't quite there because it couldn't take advantage of this stripped-down new approach. Um, so it, it many things come together. And the great thing about this is that the .NET 6 team or the .NET team had requirements for this to be the programming model, and they passed them to the c team to actually allow for those features to be possible. You know, the attributes on Lambdas, that 
became a thing because they needed it there. Or uh, what else? Inferred Lambda types. That's another thing. It really cleans up your code and, and declutters it. And someone who is using Lambdas quite a bit, I'm happy this is a thing. Both .NET 6 and C Sharp is gaining for this being a feature. I wonder, um, so when .NET was coming out, I, re I remember saying and using the, using the phrase that like, with a lot of like the, the features that come with, came with it, the middleware, dependency injection built in, you would say it sort of like set up the developer to fall into the pit of success, so to speak. This feels sort of going the other direction uh, than that. And I feel like you could be like leaving some people out to, uh, you know, cut themselves on the like the, you know, not not having those those th things sort of robustly. Is it is there have you have you looked at like paths for starting in this minimal and then adding those things in? Do you think that that's going to be a, a difficult thing to do or? Uh, do you think that from the enterprise standpoint, people will just sort of ignore this and, and try to, you know, use their own form or whatever? Yeah. So, okay, we're going to go there. So, and, and when I mean there, I mean the criticism of minimal APIs, because as everything, uh, this is another, another thing that's very interesting to me as well. I'm, I'm into many communities looking at feedback, Twitter, Discord. I'm really interested in how people are, are thinking about this. So let's, First and foremost, minimal APIs and controllers can coexist. So as you're migrating to a controller's approach, you can have minimal APIs in the same project. You don't have to do a complete rewrite or anything. So let's get that out of the way. Now, I personally really liked the startup.cs file. It makes it very clear where I define my services and where I define my middleware. Now, that's not a thing anymore. What you have is this space between web application builder created and until you call the build method where you can actually define your services. And the way the template makes that clear is with a comment. Now, comments like this to me should be methods, <laughs> which, which could be called something like, I don't know, configure services. And same goes for the middleware. The middleware previously in the startup.cs was called configure. Um, the similar approach is followed here. You have a comment saying where you define that, and that's until you actually run the service. Now, that can certainly look more disorganized. And that's not really the worst part. The worst part, at least in my opinion, is because you have these functions on that top level, you can really mess up things with closures and scopes of dependencies. If you create service providers from that services collection in places where you shouldn't, you know, we've seen it before with the DB contexts and all the entity framework stuff that's like, they will create like five of them to run migrations. And then it's like, why is this not working the way I expected? And it does indeed make it less obvious. So for those who fully understand, you know, concepts like closures, boxing, and anything that comes with it, you can really make the most out of the feature. Now, for more junior people who are going to just come in, they're going to be like, oh, I can print Hello World in just three lines of code. That's amazing. And then you're going to start building the project. And there's two ways you can go about it. You're either going to structure it in some way. Maybe you move that, that configure services thing somewhere else or maybe you scope things uh, in terms of context. I've seen 
quite a few approaches, and we're going to talk about them if you want, um, on how to structure minimal APIs. So that's the first one. And the second one, which is what scares me, is that you're going to have a big file of like 3,000 lines of code, which is going to be like, this is my API. And that's the scary thing, because don't get me wrong, you can totally run a great project in that single file if you don't do some fairly dangerous mistakes. If you do do them, you can really get frustrated with the language itself. Like you're going to be like, oh, .NET is not great or c is not great. And it's really the way you're using the tool because how to use the tool isn't really obvious. It's not a guided experience. So it's really a double-edged sword, but I think it's a, it's a risk Microsoft is willing to take to streamline how you can get on board uh, c and .NET. It, it certainly does remove a lot of the boilerplate because like you said you know file new and and create or project new creating a new project really does bring in a, a large collection of files and lots of lines of code that may or may not prove to be useful you also mentioned that you know we're, we're doing good programming practices and and most of our controllers are pretty bare bones these days and, and they're calling into external services and where our business logic is contained because we have understood the patterns over a number of years. And I think this is a new pattern to understand how to be successful with it so that we don't have 3,000 line long files that define all of our endpoints. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I can totally see someone coming up with a package. Like I think the next big thing at least to me in .NET, would be source-generated dependency injection that is not painfully hard to do. And then using minimal APIs and integrating it with something like Mediator to instead of having to do like your map get or map post, you go the CQRS approach with Mediator and you have your custom extension methods map query or map command. And then that points directly to a handler dynamically. And then in that handler, you can configure like a map method to map from your domain object to your response contract and handle versioning there. And then you split those objects based on your domain logic. So you have like the customers. I don't know what we're going to call them. I think I, I call them endpoint definitions in a video where I'm talking about this sort of thing. But really, people can choose to call them whatever they want. And that's the interesting thing to me. You, If you really make full advantage or take full advantage of that feature, you're going to come up with some really interesting patterns. Um, and you can totally skip it. That's the great thing about it. It's fully optional. Now, there is something on that point which I'm not really a fan of, and that is the templates have changed for .NET 6 to use the minimal approach, meaning you still have controllers, but you don't have the startup.cs. And that has been fairly controversial because it sort of looks like Microsoft is taking a stance to what is the good thing to do or what's, what they want you to do. Um, and like I said, I'm following different communities and they're not necessarily happy with that. I don't have a problem because, well, first, I've never really worked anywhere where we haven't created our own templates. You know, the .NET new CLI tool is open for everyone. You can make some wonderful things with it, you know, from, nah, I won't dive into that, but you can make templates 
And I do have a video on that coming for that same reason, actually. But just starting out and just seeing these two chunks of code where you have to just think, okay, I'm registering services here and I'm registering middleware here. And service order doesn't really matter if you do it right, but middleware order does matter. So you better not mess it up. Like you can really shoot yourself on the foot um, there. So I, I don't necessarily agree with that approach. I think giving the choice would be better. You know, use startup file or not use startup file. They've done with other things like open API. Um, so it would be nice if they did with that. But yeah, that's that's how I feel about that one. It's uh, it's an interesting thing uh, how they're trying to promote it. Now, the, the great thing about this is because they, they, I did see quite a few people being negative about it. You know, why are they spending time doing this? You know, my enterprise thing, whatever enterprise means, uh, <laughs> to that person, I mean, not in general. I mean, even in general. <laughs> I forgot how I started this. But my point was, I run a, I run a survey and four and a half thousand people actually took that survey on how do they feel about minimal APIs coming to .NET 6. And one of the responses, the negative one was, I hate them. They should not be working on that. They should be working on other features. And only 4% actually voted for that. The rest is either indifferent, positive, or very positive. Most of them, like 51%, is very positive. So it does look where you have this thing where the vocal minority is like overshadow the playing field, mainly because it's like you're writing a review for a really good place it's very unlikely to write a good review because you had a good experience. But if you go in a bad place, oh, you bet you're going to write a really nice trust pile review. I know. Don't Google it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a good person. <laughs> so I think that's, that's the situation around this issue. Now, to me, it's more interesting to see what's next. And I believe that there's a good way to handle this and there's a bad way to handle this and then a different way to handle this. But they really have to use all the data they can get to see where we can go with this and what's next. So how, how would you recommend folks get started with minimal API? So like, how would you structure your project moving forward or, or starting from, from scratch with .NET 6? Yeah, so I've seen actually quite a bit. The assumption is that just because the demos show minimal APIs in a single file, then that's like the programming model. And the demo repos don't really help either because they do that. I've seen like 2,000 lines of code just because you cram every example in a single file. It's like, let me just yoink that and create my API. And then it's like, oh, 3,000 lines of code. Like the only thing bigger than this is the GC class for .NET. So how do I structure this? Well, it's very much what I mentioned uh, earlier. I would, I would definitely not have all my services registered in that area. I would try to give structure to the service registration and try to give structure to the middleware registration. And the way I would do that is I would split them by domain or by concerns. If I have a customer's area or if I have a basket or if I have something else, I would make what I called in my video an endpoint definition, but you can call it anything you want and have your map methods there through extension methods and then have your service registration there as well. So you can see exactly what this thing needs and what you're registering. Now, you can certainly 
encounter situations where multiple things might be registering the same thing and then you have like innumerables that you have to inject. So that is definitely solvable, but it's something that if you want to structure a minimal API, you'd have to deal with. You can certainly just extract everything into um, a configure services method and have it there in that program.cs. Or you can even, crazy idea, create a startup.cs file and just use that. You can. The, you have full control over that. That's the beauty of it. You can choose to, to go down that path. And then the map methods, I would split them, like I said, by domain, and then I would inject in each function what this function needs to deal with. Because you, ha you still have the scopes of your, of your dependency injection. Resolving in that function, it's still a scoped um, resolving context. And you still have your singletons and your transients. So by no means should you put everything in a single file. That's the biggest misconception. And Microsoft is not telling that either. They're not communicating that you shouldn't, mainly because of demo purposes, but you shouldn't. And once you do that, you'll see that you might end up with something very similar to controllers in terms of structure. But then you do have the advantage of the game performance because of the simpler routing and doing less. So is that performance boost worth it for you? And at what point do you say, because here's the thing, if you build your API with minimal APIs and you have your performance test with K6 or Bomber, whatever you choose to use, I'm not affiliated with any of those products, by the way. And you run them as part of your CI and you see that, oh, I'm doing like 10,000 RPS. That's amazing. And then someone says, you know what? I think it's time to go controllers now because we're enterprise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what happens is those tests now will go 8K or 9K and losing 1,000 RPS at scale is a lot of RPS. And... You know, you don't know what's happening in that middleware. You don't know how your app will scale now. It's quite a big change. So some people st say start with minimal APS and go controllers. If you really care about performance, and again, remember, performance is absolutely contextual. What I mean when I say performance is not necessarily what you might mean when you say performance. But if you do care about really high performance and high throughput, it's a very hard decision to make. That's how I see it. I think it's easier easier. Nothing is easy, but I think it's easier to migrate from controllers to minimal APIs, and it's an easier pill to swallow, even if you don't necessarily agree with a programming model, than to go from minimal to controller if performance is something that matters. If it's not that you know what you're doing, or, or it doesn't matter at that degree, then you might as well start with controllers in the first place. You're comfortable with that model. There's nothing wrong with controllers. It's just that if Microsoft tried to optimize controllers in the same way they optimized minimal APIs, all your apps would break. Like we don't talk about a percent, like a hundred percent of your ASP netcore applications would just break because of the missing middleware. So it just doesn't make sense. Now, what would I recommend is if you feel creative and you feel like you can offer something more than the controllers approach, Go crazy. You know, like I said, I'm going to try that mediator thing myself. I just had this idea the other day. I'm like, you know what? All my controllers just call a mediator. They push a query or a command, and then they do an okay or not found based on the result set, and they map to a contract, and that's it. 
Well, that could totally be a dot map get or dot map post, which I hide behind a, a query command. Then I show that to business. I just made the app 10 to 20% faster and everybody loves me, which is amazing. It's a very interesting spot. It's optional until it isn't. And you might have to use it even if you don't like it. So you have to change it in a way that you like it. And then here's a question. And maybe, you know, I know it's your podcast, but I'll ask you. What happens (laughs) when we have 10 different standardized approaches on doing APIs instead of just having controllers, which is like the Microsoft standard? And I move from checkout to a different company. Uh, which I which I wouldn't. I love my job uh, if my manager is listening to this. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, and you have to adapt to this new thing. And the more magic that's being added, it's like, where's validation? Oh, validation in this is in this Fluent Validator class that I have hidden here behind this folder. Oh, yeah, my old place used to have it in that endpoint definition that Nick told me about. Bummer. Um, so how do you feel about that? You know, controllers was a standard, but now we might have many standards. Oh, we're getting we're getting to uh, C sharp being just like uh, JavaScript. Every time you turn around, everything has changed. And I mean, you know, like learn the stuff you need for your job, and then whenever you go to the next job, uh, forget all that and start over. Um, which I do have a little bit of framework fatigue from JavaScript, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think in the end, all the, yeah, just a tad. All, all in the end, all of the improvements that .NET is making uh, for performance. And um, some of it is ease of use. I mean, at, at some level, the minimal APIs is easier to get into than a full-blown controller. Um, I would assume that at least when you're getting started, more stuff is transparent. You can see more of what's happening. Whereas like a controller with an API, at, a controller attribute on top of it, uh, there's stuff that you don't see. You have no idea where it's coming from. Um, so I don't know, as long as it's, as long as it continues to be for the better, then, uh, then I'm okay with it. But I, 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 I am wary that we're going to get to like framework fatigue because C sharp is for some reason trying to keep up with JavaScript and it's just not going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's why I think it's, it's important to, to at least be aware of what is out there and, and read, read code, read blog posts, read uh, go into to popular GitHub repos and watch YouTube videos and and pay attention to to what people are contributing and and what they're producing and and see what's valuable and and bring that back to your team and say hey could we adopt any of this to our benefit not necessarily just to pad our resumes but but can we improve performance can we get, make the business happy by reducing cost or in in increasing performance or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, one of the most interesting things to me about the minimal APIs is just sort of maybe a little bit obvious, but uh, with everything moving in the direction of microservices, uh, this sort of goes a lot, really hand in hand with that in my, in my, in my opinion, right? Like makes, makes it easier to get those um, services uh, there's just those endpoints uh, up and uh, with, that, with a whole lot less uh, coding and uh, le- less overhead uh, every time you're, when you're doing that. 
in the beginning of the episode, I said I'm going to tell you about the graduate experience um, around the API. So I can, it's it's pretty brief, but I, I we recently had our first batch of, of graduates. I'm talking about this as if they're goods. No, they're people. Uh, the first group of graduates joined and um, we're, we're pair programming and learning, you know, how to do C sharp, how to do .NET, how to do SPNet Core. So I had this little plan here where obviously they don't know about .NET 6 and I can use that as an opportunity to see how they feel about it. So first I had them create a project based on the controllers template, the old template with the startup.cs and the program and everything. And I had them just run it, call the endpoint and tell me what they think. And the comments were, where is this startup.cs coming from? Okay, I register my services here. That makes sense. Oh, I did this middleware thing, but nothing mentions that it's supposed to be in order. So when I changed it a bit, Swagger was behind authentication. Ooh, that, that wasn't great. And then you go to the controllers, and obviously they don't know about dependency injection. So when this iLogger is in the controller, the question was, but what is doing new controller and then new logger of that type? And I'm like, oh, God, I've been doing this for so long. I forgot how complicated <laughs> it is to get started. Those are not easy concepts. And then with a different uh, group, I say group, it's a couple of people, of people, I used minimal APIs. And I didn't really choose um, the template that used controllers. I custom made one that had everything in a single file. And it was like, I didn't know C Sharp was doing the Express thing. Did Express steal that from C Sharp? I'm like, well, funny story. <laughs> but the idea was that they got it right, like right out the get-go. And then once they got it, I was able to show controllers and explain those concepts, like dependency injection, like the startup.cs, like everything. So it was certainly a better starting point for someone who was just starting out. And if Max wants to do that, I think they're going to succeed. And here's what might be a cautionary tale for Microsoft. I mentioned Carter earlier, which is Jonathan Shannon's next iteration of Nancy. And it's a great project. I found out about it very late after minimal APIs were a thing. And now I think it's not being developed anymore, mainly because minimal APIs effectively make it obsolete. Uh, but it's a lovely project, and he's done great work with what he was offered from the existing API. But I say he, the team, whoever contributed to that. But people didn't really use it. You know, the model was there to a huge degree. If you were to structure a minimal API, you're going to end up with something looking like Carter. But it wasn't used. So was the programming model bad, or just there wasn't enough marketing behind it? Because I knew about Nancy, but I thought that's like, done. We don't do that anymore. .NET is a thing. So the, my worry is, will Minimal API will suffer a, say, a similar fate? Or having people like Damian Edwards, like David Fowler, like Scott Hanselman, talking about those features, actually push them to more people? Which I'm sure they will, but will they stick around? And how do we get them? Because... Yes, going from minimal APIs to controllers is an easier jump now from going directly to controllers. But then what's the next thing? The next thing is 
clean architecture, either Steve Smith's or um, Jonathan Taylor's. Is it Jonathan Taylor's? Jason Taylor's. So these complicated projects with mediator and domain and DDD and entity framework, and that's really complicated. <laughs> but it's really very standardized. I see it all over the place and people swear by it. And I get it. It makes sense. But how do we get them there? And is it even Microsoft's job to do that? That's what's interesting to me. And if they see that and they're like, that's the standard, that's too complicated, back to something, is it going to be back to controllers, back to minimal API, or back to Express? That's what I'm interested in. It's going to be a minimal architecture. <laughs> that's the <laughs> minimal architecture. Yes. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing a talk in NDC. And we're going to have some really funny things. It's about that particular topic. It's about minimal APIs in NDC London. Um, so we might see a, a cameo from minimal architecture. Kind of reminds me of Angular 1 and John Papa's like, you know, project structure and whatnot. That the Angular 1 was like a complete mess. And then everyone sort of standardized around his uh, layouts and, and organization patterns. And I feel like we're going to need that sort of thing to happen. I think Angular is like version 69 now or something. It's very it, far. It's up there, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I liked Angular 1 better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, React is good. Yeah. <laughs> so so what else? What have we missed any have we missed anything that you want to be sure to to let folks know about minimal APIs or or what have we maybe breezed over that we could spend another minute or two on? No, I think if anything what I, I wanted to say is try to be more open-minded with ideas like minimal APIs. Microsoft has no ill intent. I mean, sure, they want you to use .NET and C Sharp, but they want you to use .NET and C Sharp and they're trying to make it easier for, for you and everyone to use their tools. So instead of being dismissive to change, you know, languages like JavaScript, even like TypeScript, their adoption... Are, is really driven by choice and flexibility. And that's what Microsoft is adding here. They're not taking anything away. They're just giving a different approach. Instead of being angry, sad, frustrated that you have to learn a new thing, try to see how you can make the most out of it and how you can offer back to the community. And that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm, I'm here for the next mediator, the next fluent validation, the next Carter that can really get widely adopted. And the next thing after that, I think we have a really strong community and we do have just inherently, just due to the background of .NET and C Sharp, a built-in elitism that I'm not really a fan of. It's not all enterprise. And if you want to be able to hire the next senior developer and the next mid-level developer, you have to get them out of the door in some way. And that just ensures that your hiring will be easier two years down the road. And my hiring, it's really hard to hire C Sharp and .NET developers. Really hard to the point where you have to consider other languages and how you scale to other places. Let's not make it harder. Let's, you know, don't, don't forget to be kind. So uh, for our listeners who are open-minded and are interested in trying out different <laughs> things like minimal APIs, uh, are there any resources that you would point them to, including your own, uh, that would help them uh, to get going? 
I would say if you check my YouTube channel, that's a very good starting point. I mean, there's very, there's many people talking about those things. People like Tim Corey has a great YouTube channel as well. Uh, and then you have people like Steve Smith or, or all these people who talk to NDC. That's my favorite way of learning new things. Like just go to NDC conferences, start watching the talks from basically everyone. You're not chosen to talk there if you don't have something to say, especially if you go more than once. And that's my favorite way of learning. I'm not reading books, really. Uh, it's not really my thing. Just listen to other people talk. Try to catch things they mention, Google them and just go from there. You're going to be in a better place after that. And yeah, I mean, my YouTube channel is first, but you can, <laughs> you can choose other things as well. I, I, I'll allow it. And this podcast is amazing. They are not paying me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. Three more mentions and then... Um... <laughs> What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? The best advice I was given when I was a junior is that, and, and thank God I got that advice, your ego will hurt you way more than your junior programming skills. And ever since I live by that, it's very hard to say I don't know. But once you do say I don't know, you have this unlimited like playing field of possibilities. Because once you admit that you know nothing, you can just get better. And it's fine to not know. Like there's so many things I don't know and I want to learn. Listen to other people. Try to work with people better than you. Admit that other people are better than you. It's fine. Nobody's perfect. Don't necessarily try to listen to people who just agree with your opinions or you agree with their opinions. Try to listen to people who disagree with their opinions because even these people... You know, to have an opinion, sometimes it's not always true, but most likely, especially in more senior people, they've seen quite a few things. It's the same thing as this other end. Be open-minded. That's, that's my advice. It's not books. It's not YouTube videos, un unless it's my YouTube videos, but it's not YouTube videos. <laughs> uh, it's not pluralsight courses. It's listening, understanding that you don't know, and just taking it from there. That's my advice. If it's not good, I'm sorry, but it worked for me, so it might work for you. Oh, no, absolutely. And and some of my favorite coworkers to work with are the ones that aggravate me because they disagree with me all the time. But if somebody doesn't if somebody doesn't challenge my my beliefs or opinions, then I'm never going to go and look them up and realize that I was wrong. So where can our uh, listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? Yeah. So lately I've been quite more active on Twitter. So you might want to check me there at Nick Chapsis. Um, GitHub, I'm not really active there. So, I mean, you can go. Uh, and then YouTube, which I haven't mentioned, I think, until now. So I'm going to drop it now. <laughs> like, YouTube is a place you can uh, check me out. You know, uh, just search for Nick Chaps. As you, I'm sure you're going to find me. Excellent. Nick, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you for having me. A lovely, lovely episode. That was Nick Chaps. Nick is a senior engineering manager for developer platform and engineering experience at checkout.com. He is a Microsoft MVP for developer technologies and a YouTube content creator, creating educational content on C Sharp and .NET for developers of all skill levels. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more 
at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. Thank <laughs> you.